Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. For seven weeks in 1993, Frankston was in lockdown as police hunted a serial killer who would continue to kill until he was caught. Homicide investigator Charlie Bassina was in charge of the first case and was there to the end when Paul Charles Denyer was caught and confessed. Join me, John Sylvester, with Charlie on November 5 for the inside story. A Black Salmon Event. Join Sly and Charlie in the hunt for the Frankston serial killer at the St Kilda Town Hall on November the 5th. Tickets at Eventbrite. Uh, Hello and thanks for listening and coming with me as we explore the human side and impact of crime. And just a couple of things I'd like to ask you to consider. Firstly, My guests share their personal stories, which others may see differently. No one will see a situation the same. It's just human nature. Uh, Secondly, my podcasts aren't suitable for children and some adults for that matter. So please consider if it's right for you and contact Lifeline or any other support service if you find yourself affected by my subject matter. I mean, historically, what we've done is we've asked the least qualified people in our community, usually volunteers, to deal with our most complicated, complex, damaged young people. And nine times out of ten, we just make it worse. Hello, I hope you've had a good week. Uh, So as I said at the end of last week, today we learn about Glenn's fight to have his record removed after 40 plus years and the barriers that he's faced with having that record. I've got an update for you at the end of today's episode about that decision. So uh, keep listening, won't you, right till the end. Anyway, today, so apart from his fight to have his record removed, we also discuss Glenn's wish um, to become a celebrant and why he wants to cook pizza and fish and chips. (laughs) We discuss if a criminal record should be there until the day someone dies, Uh, if there's some offences that Glenn doesn't think should ever be removed from somebody's record. Uh, There's a lovely story about Glenn's parole officer who had a, a huge influence on Glenn's life and the programs that Glenn is involved in, uh, which I just had no idea was offered in prison. Uh, but then again, I suppose, why would we? But I think we should because we learn that they are trying a lot of things in prison, uh, including this lovely program Glenn told us about called Coffee Chat, uh, which I think will warm 
the hearts of many listeners. Uh, Glenn gives uh, those family members and friends dealing with somebody with psychosis who might be having a uh, psychotic episode. He gives uh, them a few tips which may help. And we also have a discussion about prison officers and how their roles have changed over the years and for the better and the problems with closing down institutions in the 80s. I think it's a really enlightening discussion and I hope you feel the same. I know it won't be everybody's bag, uh, but I just think it's a a fascinating conversation. Anyway, uh, thank you for listening yet again and uh, have a good week. I note that you're currently seeking through the courts and you spoke, uh, we touched on this before, to have your police record of 40 years ago removed and and you have had quite a bit of help from Fiona Patton from the Reason Party. So could you help us with what barriers have you found in your adult life from having a police record? Yeah, sure. Look, there's been plenty um, and a lot of it's more personal and just – sucking it up princess and just going through it but a lot of it is around um around uh, the constant constant need to um repeat my story so every time that i do a job application my armed robbery charges come up um and sometimes that does one or two things it means that um I have to provide an explanation why they should employ me with this record showing. Yep. And the second at interview stage, uh, they may say, have you got a criminal record? And I say, yes, that it actually disqualifies me from the position. So it's had, it's had a lot of limitations. And there's um, the interesting thing about criminal records is there's only about five agencies that um, – that make it that are legislated not to employ someone with a criminal record. Mm-hmm. That's five agencies. So we're looking at the police force. I'm in no hurry to do that. <laughs> uh, become prime minister, um, um, armed forces, and a, and a few others down to uh, a taxi driver. Um, because we're talking about vulnerable people. So you yes, get someone yep. in a cab and, you know, fair enough, you're – you, you, um, they're in the back seat, and you've got them. So, so I understand. I understand that from a um, safety point of view. Really, the, the underpinning law is is the anything that is a detriment to national security. So I understand that. But um, so so up to this point, anybody else like local councils, um, <clears throat> some businesses, many businesses, um, are actually. Um, policies they've developed within the organisation. So let's say uh, um, um, let's say a fast food restaurant, I won't name anyone, but a fast food restaurant might make it their policy that anyone with a criminal record does not qualify to be an employee of this organisation. Now, that's not legislated. That, that's actually just a, a policy within the, in the organisation of what to do. So in regards – so – what happens is, is we're full of these contradictions. Mm-hmm. For example, there's one council that will put on people with a criminal record uh, as long as a certain amount of time has passed, as long as the crime is, is um, you know, not child-related or whatever, um, and then another council won't accept anybody. So there's a lot of contradictions across the state. 
So, so what this would do for me, for example, is that uh, there's a couple of things I'd love to do. Um, one is I would love to get some part-time work in a fish and chip shop or a pizza shop um, to for sort of top up my super. So when I retire, I'd like to be able to physically cook a pizza or cook some chips and take on a bit of part-time work or something away from people. I'm sort of getting to the age now where starting to become intolerant of people. That's <laughs> yes. not altogether true, but, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. but there will come a time where I don't want to be, a, just, I just want to be a grumpy old man. So, um, so in that, and also the other thing I'd like to do is become a marriage celebrant um, for people that are, just want an alternative, just want to get married. They don't want the pomp and ceremony of mainstream churches or, you know, Greg Evans or that sort of stuff. They just want a bloke, you know, maybe marry bikers or buffheads or whoever, um, <laughs> just the 1% of, you know, our society that just doesn't conform. So anyway, that's my interest. But at the moment, they're, they're, they're barriers to me um, securing that type of work because of my record. Sorry, Glenn, this might seem a little naive, but are you saying that you couldn't work in a fish and chip shop or a pizza parlour out the back because of your record? Well, if they are, if they're, if they're, if they're a pizza shop or a, um, a pizza shop or a fish and chip shop that um, do police record checks for honesty. Oh yeah, okay, yeah. Okay, so so you're handling money in that shop, and me as a little business owner, I just don't want to, you know, open my doors up to someone to rip me off in a week's time. Okay, yeah. So they may do a police check, and because there's something comes up. Um, then they, they can choose not to employ me. Um, okay. So there's lots of um, lots of org- and some hospitals and the like. Um, you know, as a peer worker in a mental health sector, I could apply for lots of jobs, but but I have to explain myself around my armed robbery charges. Hmm. So and and do, and do you think that that's unfair? Do you think that? Uh, you should be able to oh, not ignore that but push that aside and not tell people? I, to be totally honest with you, Narelle, I'm, I'm between a rock and a hard place. Yep. I, and the reason being is that um, uh, there's something in um, – where, where is it? Um, I don't even know if it's biblical or not, but basically, you know um, – Oh, sorry, it says something about, you know, bearing the cross, like, you know, if you've got to carry a cross or whatever it is. So basically saying that, saying that you know, your sins, you, you, have, to, you have to carry them, you know, in the sense of uh, what, you, what you've done, you've done. So, so there's a part of me that says, all right, I was a bugger of a kid. I got into a lot of strife. Uh, I hurt a lot of people. Um, maybe that, maybe that... Um, Maybe that should just be there till the day I die. But then there's another part of me that says, okay, if I was still a bugger of a kid and didn't care about anyone, then maybe it should stay. But because I've worked so hard at being a different person, yeah, um, right. yeah, a part of me feels like I've earned it. I'm not saying I deserve it. Yes, yes. Big difference, I understand. Yeah, I don't say I deserve it. Um, 
And like I said to the judge, you know, um, this is not about me uh, waving a banner saying, you know, for the last 40 years I've been a great person. What I'm actually saying is that um, it impedes some of the work that I'd, I'd like to do, but, but at the same time it's more about me taking opportunity or taking a, taking a punt at the opportunity you've created. Mm. So for Victoria, it's the only state that has this legislation where you can appeal your conviction. Oh, okay. Yep. Right? Well, so Victoria is the only one that's taken that on board. Um, so otherwise I could have done this in a different state because a lot of people fail to realise that um, back in your day of working, they used to do what they called state police checks. Yes. So they do a Victorian state police check, so they look on the database, see what what I've been up to and disclose that to whoever wants it within the legislation. What's happened in recent times, we have what we call a national police check. So it, uh, we don't do state stuff anymore. We just send it all around the country and see what comes back. Um, so some, con- some, some states have varying, uh, varying difference to the legislation, but all of them basically have this underpinning for a juvenile five years um, five years to stay clean from their last conviction, they won't have a record unless it was for manslaughter or murder that was outside the 30 months. For an adult, it's 10 years. So stay clean for 10 years um, and anything under 30 months will not be disclosed. Mm. It will be disclosed to those parties I mentioned earlier, like, you know, yes. yep, police, police yep. armed forces, all the rest of it. But otherwise it will come back clean. Um, do I deserve it? I don't know. But the opportunity for me to to do that is something that I'm pursuing. So, so at, at what point is your pursuit now? Like have, how far oh, have you got? It's been adjourned and it's coming up this week, the 29th. Oh, okay. okay. So, so what basically happens is, um, and I don't even have to appear in court, which I'm in two minds about, Um I always tend to like to speak up for myself. But um, what it basically does is uh, you submit all this paperwork um, and reference letters and support letters and the like. You make a, you make a uh, notice to the DPP um, and they've, they've got no objection. So that's a win already. Um, another one goes to the Attorney General's Department and they've, they've said you know, no contest, like um, you know, they don't object. So really it's up to the magistrate next Thursday, I think it is, or Wednesday, um, mm. to make a ruling. Um, oh, gee. So, okay. so we're pretty close. And, and I'll, I'll accept the outcome either way because I've only, I can only win. I can't lose. Yeah. Uh, hey, hey, can I give you a bit of free advice? Sure. I know it may not make a difference, but I would go because I think – it shows that you care. Uh, yeah. like there's, there's a lot of people that don't have to appear in court, but I know it might only be that little, I don't know, half a percent that makes the difference. But if the magistrate sees that you're there, I just think it shows how passionate you are about yeah. it, you know. Yeah, but but, uh, anyway. I, was, I was prepared to go, but, but I've been informed that it's going to be a decision made in the chambers Oh, well, that's different. Okay. Yeah, so just signing off type thing uh, rather than, yeah, I, I was pretty keen to go, but the opportunity is yeah. 
there for me. Nah. But I would have otherwise, like you say, you know. Um, oh, yeah. Gee, yeah. Anything, anything to get you over the line. I've seen that with um, how much a difference if a parent turns up to, to someone appearing in court and the parent oh, sits yeah. back yeah. Mm. Um, that wasn't expected to be there, how much of an impact that has. Oh, know? huge. Yeah, you're right. Mm. And mm. so, Glenn, in your opinion, are there any offences which shouldn't be removed from one's police record? I thought you were going to ask that. Um, <laughs> um, I suppose. I suppose. Um, well, there, there's some exemptions already. So um, it's uh, this is why this is going to court. But I'm probably at the bottom end, and 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 it's serious offenders. Um, serious offenders convictions. So um, arm robbery. Um, but not. To, but but again, it's got to be married up against circumstances. Yes, I agree. Uh, yep. So you know, um, a well organised outfit that runs into a bank, shoots a place up, hurts three people, um, potentially kills one, take off, um, is very different to holding up two people on the beach. Um, I'm not saying that it's any less traumatic or the or the rest of it, but you know the, the intensity and the level of of um, whatever the word is something clever, but um, yeah, just the the intensity of the offence. Um, so, and there's also a difference between um, you know manslaughter, murder. Um, the you know some some are crimes of passion. That it was a moment a madness walked into the room, found his part. I'm not justifying it. Yes, but finds yes. his partner in bed with someone else has access to a firearm or a knife and kills the kills the the, the partner or whatever. Yeah. Um, versus you know a gangland hit, um, that type of stuff. Uh, I think they're very different. Um, yeah, 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 they are. And you know, and, and the arena of sex offending. I, I, I work with them every day, and I struggle with it. I, I, I can't lie about that. Um, doesn't mean I provide them any less service uh, to what I yes, do. Fair but, enough. Yep. But, um, but um, yeah, I have my own personal views and opinions about a certain sector of the prison system. Yeah. Oh, I have no doubt. Yeah. So. Were you paroled um, or did you do your time and just get released to your own devices? Yeah, well, it was interesting. I actually got paroled um, and it was an interstate transfer, So, um, which, which Victoria probably loved the idea of, God, we get rid of him. Um, <laughs> so, so I was paroled. We'd relocated to a little place on the north coast of New South Wales called Grafton. And um, I got paroled there and uh, it was a blessing in disguise or whether someone was looking out for me, but uh, I had the best parole officer that the world could have given me was a guy by the name of Kevin Weir. Oh, Uh, really? Yeah. He was a little country – well, he's not little, he was taller than me – but he was a country Baptist guy, um, good, wholesome family man, um, who basically took it upon himself to mentor me now, now it's not basic. It's not the role of a parole officer to do that, but it's probably the difference between city and rural uh, parole officers. He was just a genuine kind of guy. So 
we built a good rapport together. He had a huge influence in my life. Um, he'd come around and get on the end of a shovel and do a bit of digging with me um, around the house and that. Um, just an amazing human being. And it was uh, my easiest time on parole ever. Um, That's good to hear that uh, a parole officer could make such a difference because you do hear a lot of terrible stories, but uh, like everything in every workplace, there's ones that are just fantastic and ones that you, you know, we should never yeah. ever meet. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And it also, you know, I suppose I've got to give a bit of credit to myself in the sense that um, there comes a time and a place in a person's life where they mature a bit. Um, and I think I was able to engage with him at a different level than I had in previous times. You know, I um, I grew up in an environment that was very them and us. Um, if you weren't on my side, you were the enemy. So it used to come with a bit of bravado and, you know, um, you know so, so learning that people are human beings, they have a job to do, um, they might be in a bit of conflict to what you do. Um, at the end of the day, they're human beings and, you know, when my attitude changed and my maturity level grew a bit, um, I saw the world in a different light. God, I bet you did. I mean, it, it's going, it's like chalk and cheese, isn't it? When you think back to your life uh, in and out of Tirana and all the, the uh, you know, your award of the state and then you are paroled and you're married, you've got a couple of um, instant kids, yep, yep. Like, like, and you feel loved and cared for, like that is, it's it's chalk and cheese. And, and so you are now, one of the many hats you wear now is you're a lived experience peer worker within the prison uh, mental health system. Yes. Can, can you tell us about that role and some of the prisoners that you uh, counsel? Like, I suppose in that question, you know, are there some that uh, you just can't seem to get through to? Uh, maybe some that you've made a positive influence with. Can you take us through that? Yeah, look, at the end of the day, it's, um, I think we're talking predominantly about men that have schizophrenia. So um, these guys aren't very well, but they come to us six months prior to release. And uh, our role is uh, it's a psychosocial rehab. So these guys are on the way out. And um, a big part of what we do is about setting them up for a, a respectful and positive transition back into the community. So it's, it's crossing our T's and dotting our I's as far as accommodation, um, medication regime, linking them into a local area mental health service, um, attaching them to a GP, identifying a chemist, so all that medical side is uh, it's out of the way. Then we establish community links. So we identify interests that they have. And one of the downsides to that is, uh, unfortunately, um, the NDIS is a, is a wonderful, amazing program. But what they did is they um, took a lot of the money that was for community-based stuff and tied it up into individual packages for people. So what that meant is there's not a lot of places for people with mental illness to, to gather and share experiences. So a lot of the community workshops, uh, the gathering places have all gone now. So um, one of the big things that we're trying to 
overcome is this social isolation. Um, they know they're different, they feel different, um, and just linking them straight back into the community can be quite a challenge. Um, a lot of them have got used to being in, in, in a hospital institutional setting, so um, it's quite a, quite a challenge for a lot of these guys. So basically my role is um, using my lived experience um, to, to basically give them some hope. So I hold the hope for them until they're ready to hold it themselves. So the mere fact that I've, I've done time, that I have mental health concerns myself around depression and anxiety, um, I can share these experiences with the guys and, and they, it turns on a glimmer of hope that they say, oh, he done it or maybe I can do it. Because um, for a lot of these guys, and it's trying to extend the horizon beyond getting out and getting on the DSP. So the disability... What's the, D, what's the DSP? Yeah, Disability Support Pension. Okay. So that, that can... Look, there's lots of people that need it, but for a lot of people it just creates a licence to do nothing. So they get a benefit and they don't have to work or do anything like that. Where I believe a lot of our guys have the capacity to do something. But, um, they, need, but they need some purpose, don't they, Glenn? They you do. can't, like, it sounds uh, a bit, I don't know, it might glorify it a bit where you sit at home and do F all and you get paid. I mean, that might be good for the first couple of weeks or couple of days, I don't know. But after that, surely, like, you, you've got to have some purpose in life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So these guys, you know, we try to monitor them for a while. Um, and uh, the good thing about us is that uh, we're great believers in trust transference. So the trust that they've built up with us, we then try to transfer into the community. So it might be it might be the area mental health service where they're a bit dodgy about going, um, but we take them there, do the introductions, let let Johnny know that Fred's not such a bad bloke and he wants to help you like I did and just transfer that trust across. Um, so many guys are just let out the door and just get on with it, you know. Um, so, so a big part of what we do is uh, we run a whole range of programs um, and this is forensic care. So this is forensic mental health service. Um, they're their forensic uh, providers in Victoria. So their main mothership is Thomas Embling Hospital. So the difference between Thomas Embling Hospital and other hospitals is that Thomas Embling is, is uh, for people that aren't fit enough to plea. So they might commit a, a, a serious crime uh, and the court has deemed them unfit to plea. So they will go to the hospital, which is a gazetted hospital. Uh, prison system and, and where we are is men who are deemed to have a mental illness but were uh, conscious or able to know the difference between right and wrong um, and they're sentenced accordingly and they serve their sentence and get released. So the guys that we work with... Um, you know, as a peer worker, I, I do things like um, just really down-to-earth, grungy stuff. So a lot of these guys are in their 40s or whatever, have never held a driver's licence. So we run a driving course within the prison um, that's the same as Vic Roads, and we get them to a level where they can get out and go for their L's straight away. Okay. Um, so that's practical stuff. Like some of these guys have been driving for 30-odd years and never held a licence. Um, so that's one factor that we can reduce in their recidivism, that they won't come back for driving unlicensed. 
Um, there's other things that we do with the mental health recovery a group is about um, them identifying their um, uh, their illness. One is to unpack what it is to have schizophrenia, how do we treat it, what medication you're on, what's most important. Um, and, and, you know, a lot of our guys are what we describe as polydrug users. So um, they, they, what happens is they get to a place of wellness where they think, oh, I don't need these medication anymore because I'm going along very well. What they fail to realise is it's the medication that's actually making them feel well. They don't. Uh, they don't just have to be in jail for that. Speak to my husband about his bloody blood pressure tablets. Yeah, I mean, yeah. the minute his blood pressure starts to go down, he thinks, "Ah, oh, that's working. I don't need these anymore." <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, for, so for our guys, it has a, a far-reaching consequence if they don't maintain their medication. Um, Nine times our tendency sees them coming back to prison. But one of the most amazing things, and if there's anyone out there that has family members that um, that are in this position where they um, have have a psych- regular psychotic episodes and um, have mental health issues and poly drug use or just use a particular drug, encourage them the best you can to maintain on their meds, even if they're using illicit drugs. Because there's a thing what we call um, treatment resistant. And what happens if you've got someone that goes off their drugs and then takes illicit drugs and then goes back onto medication and then goes off them again onto illicit drugs, what happens is the medication has less and less effect. So there will come a time where they're in a constant state of psychosis and they won't come back. So it's really, really important that if they're going through a period in their life where they're on and off their drugs, encourage them to use on top of their medication because that, right. that will reduce the risk of becoming treatment resistant. So, so what you're saying is you use the meds no matter what else you're doing in life. Exactly. Don't give up the meds. Is that your, exactly. the message? That's the yeah. message. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. Because, I would never have yeah. thought of that. Yep. No, it's, it's, um, they've discovered that those that, that, that go on and off treatments replaced with uh, illicit drugs are becoming less um, less less uh, uh, susceptible to, to medication. So they're encouraging people to remain on their medication regardless of what they're doing. Even another little thing that they don't talk about, there's a particular... For those that are on that are on uh, antipsychotic medication, if you use clozapine, clozapine is a particular medication antipsychotic. If you're on certain milligram, and um, all of a sudden you decide to take up smoking, ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row, dreaming of something better? Well, Hello Fresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a It's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Um, you have to get your clozapine adjusted to accommodate smoking. So all of a sudden you've taken up smoking and you're starting to do strange things or carry on around the house. Um, there's every chance that your clozapine isn't taking the effect that it should. So these are just little things that um, people should know that um, to keep uh, to keep themselves stable. So being stable on your medication is probably the major thing that will keep you out of prison or out of uh, psych wards. Um, so yeah, Glenn, Glenn, with these um, with these people, you talk about um, teaching them. How do you teach somebody about self-respect? I understand how you teach them about hope because you are um, um, living um, – what's that word? Um, uh, example. Exa- thank you. A living example that, yeah, it, I, I can see that. But how do you teach somebody about self-respect when – You've never learnt it. You've never experienced it. Like you're talking about, let's say, 40, 50-year-old and generally men. How do you teach somebody that? Yeah, that's, a, that's, a, that's quite a difficult one. I mean, uh, it's really two parts. One is, one is um, education. Yeah. So we do a lot, of, a lot of work with the guys. We have a number of workshops that look at respect and respecting others and and one in particular we run is called positive relationships. So, um, but you're right. The, the, the main thing is to um, a lot of before people can respect others, usually they've got to learn to respect themselves. Correct. So, so what we do is um, a lot of modelling. So we're around these guys every day for six months, um, except for weekends, and. Um, it's modelling, so it's engaging with the guys what's appropriate behaviour, what's inappropriate, and then just little things like building their self-esteem. So, um, again, it comes back to what's my purpose, uh, what's my reason for being. Um, 
you know, and it's almost that miracle question around, you know, what is life? And, yeah, true, know, true. Um, yeah. So we go through all that on we're pretty pretty blessed in, in our situation. We've got um, what we call a multidisciplinary team, which means that we have um, peer workers, psych nurses, social worker, occupational therapist, um, psychologist, a consultant, and a registrar. So that, that's oh. a pretty big, uh, powerful team. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. You're covering so, all bases there. Yeah, 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 that's right. So uh, a lot of the stuff I do is like life skills and just, you know, connecting the disconnected, which is one of my passions. Um, and we, we run a little thing called Coffee Chat. And uh, Coffee Chat is we invite people from the community to come in and share what their, what their, what their, their go is. Um, and we set it up like a coffee shop. So it looks at some of those etiquette things around um, who sits first, who pays, um, who, <laughs> yeah. you know, when you order your coffee, you know, who, who gets to, to, you know, do you go before them or do you order for them or whatever. And we've got a coffee machine and we do the whole gamut. Um, what, a, what a great idea. Glenn, I can tell you now there will be people out there thinking, how can I, that's a great idea, how can I become one of those coffee mates, sort of? Yeah, yeah, sure. Look, um, I don't know how you get my details. I don't know if you've got a little little uh, email or, or something you send to your listeners or whatever, but I'm quite happy to leave details if they're interested. Um, but look, the primary role is about um, taking away, establishing some etiquette for the guys to take them away from, you know, the, the pubs and clubs or yeah, yeah. seeking places where they think they need to meet. Um, and many of them are reluctant to catch up with their parole officer or somebody, a family member in a coffee shop because they're not quite sure how to act. Um, so so this is an opportunity where um, they, they get a chance to talk to people, ask questions. They're sort of almost prodded to the point of, being a, a, an active participant in it because um, some are quite quiet and reluctant, so you tend to draw them out. Um, but it's just an opportunity, one, for, for the community to see what's going on in prisons um, and the other one is for guys to see that people are interested in you. Um, oh. just, just getting people to volunteer their time to come into a prison speaks a lot and the guys really, really appreciate it. Um, oh, Glenn, I, I haven't ever heard of a program that, look, there probably is, but I've never heard of it. I just think, oh, what a fantastic idea. Oh, I, there are so many things out there that the general public have just got no idea about. Yeah. Um, Glenn, do you have an opinion on mandatory sentencing of young offenders? The reason I say that is that there just appears to be what I'd call uncontestable uh, evidence of the adverse impact of sending a young person to an adult jail, which I tend to think has been happening due to the overcrowding of youth justice centres. I could be wrong. But there doesn't seem to be any grey areas in mandatory sentencing. It's black or white. And to me, that's a really dangerous precedent. One size doesn't always fit all. No, that's uh, right. What What are your thoughts on that? Um. <sighs> It's a bone of contention, really, because um, I'd love to say that um, that um, we don't need 
youth prisons. Um, I'd like to see that um, there's no need for it, but unfortunately when we're not progressively thinking about uh, other options, um, we take a very colonial approach um, of, um, you know, just locking people up, do their time, and that attracts votes, unfortunately. So yeah. um, I think I, I don't think it's overcrowding the, the issue they've got. It's, it's, I think it's more of a management issue, their ability to manage youth justice oh, at the yeah. moment. Yeah. Yeah. But they've got Cherry Creek being built. Um, and look, Marsbury used to be an open camp. So times have changed to see the, all the barbed wire and all the cages there at the moment. Um, I, I, I'm a firm believer that um, we need to do what works and what we're doing at the moment doesn't work. No. Um, no. And we have, to, we have to put our money where our mouth is. Um, you know, uh, I believe, you know, a big, big – We've got to start at the start. So a lot of these kids have experienced uh, institutional care and foster care and resi care system. That's where it's got to start. We've got to start taking these kids out of residential care and put them into qualified, highly paid foster carers. It becomes their full job to look after, full time job to look after this kid. Um, this business of paying them thriplings to to manage. Um, I mean, historically, what we've done is we've asked the least qualified people in our community, usually volunteers, to deal with our most complicated, complex, damaged yeah. young right. people. Mm. Um, and nine times out of ten, we just make it worse. Yeah, so, and you're right, Glenn. I've uh, I've been involved, you know, I've had to go to residential care units, say, in my policing career. And, and to be honest, it, it used to make me feel sick and it still does. I'm not taking away from the people that work there. I don't know how they do it. I'm sure they're paid pittance. But a, a, a residential care place, from my point of view, is one of the saddest places you can go because that kids that, say, had your uh, upbringing where they're just angry young kids, you know, yeah. that have never, ever seen or experienced anybody that uh, cares for them or love. Oh, I just oh, – I don't know how people work in residential care. I mean, I know they're trying – the government try a lot of things, but I like your idea. Just pay people some – decent money and I'm sure things would improve a great deal. That's right. And it's not even about the money. It's about qualifying these people to do the job they're asked to do. Um, but, you will, but you will attract better qualified and, uh, I, well, yeah, I think you would. If you paid better money, you... Oh, for sure, for sure. But know? what I'm saying is that you've got to have an under... You just can't be nice people and get paid a shitload of money to look oh, after. Oh, no. Yeah, you're right. You, you're they, right. They have the underpinning understanding of, you know, what... the what. It's trauma-informed. And, and um, what we've got is, um, you know, we need a therapeutic-based um, foster care system that it's all good and well to put on these well-meaning people that get burnt out with kids that just, you know... Um, you know, they'll say to you that it's okay to um, have a full-time job um, and look after one of these kids, but not if you're being called out of 
out of work every five minutes because he's you know burnt the school down or you know he's yeah, he's yeah. knocked off knocked off three cars uh, before lunch. Um, you know, the, 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 I think that that's probably one of our major issues is that we start too late, um, and then we go from then we go from a therapeutic model to a to a punitive model. So all, all the all the little bit of love stops at seventeen. Now you're going to jail. No one cares. You know. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So so that's a huge issue. But look, I, I go way back to the days of um, the Burdekin report. The Burdekin report closed down just about all the institutions that could be closed down in the 80s. Um, and then we had people, you know, standing half naked in the middle of Flinders and Swanson Street with a sword, um, psychotic, trying to stop all the traffic. He wasn't ready to go into the community. What we did is we shut all these institutions down, set them up in little one and two bedroom flats. Um, we've got a huge tendency to pendulum swing our government. So no institutions today and we'll just close them all down tomorrow. And leave uh, everyone to their own devices and they can't right. manage. Yeah, and we had, you know, police call-outs every 20 minutes to to little places because Johnny had become psychotic and, you know, um, they were demil- dealing, uh, we're dealing with mental health issue, domestic violence issue, you know. Um, they've come a little, a little bit of a way along since. But my argument has always been that um, there was nothing wrong with our institutions. It was how they were run. Yeah, I couldn't, yeah. There was, I, there, yeah. Because there's some of our, some, some people in our community just can't cope in the community. Mm-hmm. You know, and and through the eighties and nineties, when they shut them all down, the amount of public nuisance responses police were making um, to pull Johnny out of a fish and chip shop because he's having an episode, or you know, pulling him out of a boarding house, um, and then what could they do with them? Then they had to let him go, and it was repeating the cycle again. So it was just know, a revolving door. It yep. is, it is. And a lot hasn't changed. It really hasn't. Oh, I was hoping you wouldn't say that. Um, <laughs> hey, Glenn, when you walk back into prison now, because you're there all the time with your counselling advocacy work, does it trigger uncomfortable emotions for you or is that have you been able to, um, what's not, I don't know, have you is been able to? From it? Yeah. Yeah, look, in most cases I can. But there will always – it's a bit like, um, you know, it's a bit like praying to God saying, give me patience. Well, he just doesn't automatically give you patience. He gives you a trial, you know what I mean, to test those patients. Yeah, so yeah. it's the same as when I go into the prison. I think I'm fine, but someone will say something or do something and it will just trigger, you mm. know. Um, yeah. For example, look, I, I have a different view now, but they, they've got this um, – this team of uh, of uh, prison officers that uh, dress themselves up in this SWAT gear and have uh, have those plastic shields and batons and all the rest of it um, to see a cell extraction still triggers me a bit. Um, of course, it just works. all these emotions rise up from my own experiences. Mine were a bit archaic to what happens now. But, but one of the things that did educate me very well was that, uh, 
last year there was a cell extraction and uh, there was these four officers that are going to go in and pull this guy out and take him to Tomba Assembling. Um, for the first time ever, I saw their side. They were anxious. They didn't want to do it. They were looking for every op- other opportunity to um, to not go in there hardcore. Um, so that saw the, the first time, you know, they run run around all bridged up thinking they're 10-foot bulletproof. But um, I actually saw some humanity in them. Um, and it really changed the way I was thinking, you know, that by the time they get, come through the door, it's on. But that, that five minutes leading up to that, mm. they're sort of praying that the outcome will be different, you know. Um, you know, so- you've, walk, you've, you've walked right into my next question, which right. is a, a it, which it, which is a perfect uh, segue. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about prison guards because I've had some neg- really negative comments about how I've described prison guards in the past, and that my perception of them is unfair. That's what's been alleged. Um, right. And, and I acknowledge there's good and bad apples in every workplace, but, un- but unfortunately, um, the assumption that I make is from what I've heard about prison guards. And just to support the stories I've heard, I read somewhere that you were more scared of the prison guards as a young man than the inmates. And I'm sure, again, I want to stress, I have no doubt that the um, the majority of prison guards are very good, but I thought that was an interesting comment you made that you were you were more scared of them. Can you explain why you felt that way? Well, well, back back in the eighties, um, it was a strong them and us. Um, if you sided with a prison officer, uh, you were deemed a dog, and and you could very well lose your life for that. So, um, I guess I guess um, what happened for me is that I was in D division one year and they were putting me in, I was only a young fella, not 18 or something like that, and they were going to send me to E Division. Now, E Division was uh, dormitories and, uh, you know, the, the, the guys in the yard, in the sentence yard were saying, oh, they're going to sort you out, Broomy, you know, they're going to pass you around like a block of chocolates and all this sort of stuff and uh, fear really gripped me. So uh, they called my name up and said, broom to the gate. Uh, with your gear, which meant that I was heading off to E-Division. Um, I wasn't going anywhere, so I stood my ground and uh, a prison officer came out to collect me and he grabbed me by the arm and I flicked my arm away, but in doing so, I knocked his hat off and it looked like a big scuffle. Yes, So yes. this minute there was a, there's this um, whistles go and about 20 staff come out and uh, to collect me. And uh, by that time, I had to sort of save face, so I sort of wrestled with them. Um, no, I didn't have a hope, but I wanted to look look all right in front of my peers. Um, so they got me, and uh, but in the meantime, what had happened is that because of the scuffle and the hats coming off and that, the prisoners got the hats, um, urinated in the hats, ripped the badges off, um, and really made it quite bad for me. Oh, yeah. Um, because yeah. I was the cause of all this ruckus. Mm. So I was sent to H Division, and um, back in those days, you used to get initiated. So you would cop the baton down the race from half a dozen staff and then thrown into a wet cell naked, um, to which you'd spend a week in there to settle down and, mm. and uh, understand your behaviour. 
So from that time on, you know, and every time they'd call you out, they'd, they'd flog you as you went down the race to the showers or whatever. Um, it was a harrowing experience and uh, I developed a huge resentment towards prison staff, just that inattitude. Um, they were just all a bunch of dogs as far as I was concerned. Um, but over the years, my you know, just my whole attitude, I've mellowed. And um, in mellowing, I now see the human side. Um, but we've also, we've also from the 1990s, when uh, Pentridge shut down, a lot of the old Pentridge staff went to Port Phillip Prison and the, and the map. Since that time, um, we've built a large number. We've built MRC. We've built Ravenhall, uh, Loddon. Uh, we've modernised a lot of our prisons, um, and a lot of those old prison staff have moved on. So they've either died or retired. And there's a new prison regime, prison officer regime coming through that, that's pretty encouraging. Oh, good. So yep, yep. They're, they're technically, they're moving away from um, SIRS and all that, and they're encouraged to talk to officers by their first name. Fantastic. Um, yep, yep. Same with, same, same with prisoners. Um, and they're now, they're not, well, they're correctional officers, but they're basically now case managers. So um, they have a responsibility to each prisoner. They take on like half a dozen prisoners and see them through their journey oh, of incarceration. Right. Um, mm. So technically, uh, from the time that someone comes into prison to the time they're released, um, there's a mapping process around um, their reintegration back into the community. So their reintegration starts from the time that they're, they come into prison um, and hopefully in most cases that's followed through to the end. So prison officers take on a totally different light these days um, and, um, yeah, you see a more human side of prison officers. There's obviously some units that, like behavioural units where, you know, you've got guys running around calling everyone a dog every five minutes and wanting to punch on Um mm. Mm. So they, they they need a pretty resilient officer to manage those sort of guys. Mm. Um, there's a lot more there's a lot more humane, um, you know, restraints now. They they bit Americanized, you know, with the whole the whole wheelchair and gag and cuffs and all that sort of stuff. Um, I can't, I can't even bear to think about that. I I know that there are people that are difficult to manage. But surely, uh, you know, and I think about Don Bosco, I can hardly think about that, that poor young man. I don't care what anybody does. I don't, gee, I'll tell you, if I was a family member, I might, but of somebody that had been tortured or murdered or whatever. But um, I, I do like to hear that about prison guards because I acknowledge it would be a thankless job, a bloody difficult job, but I, I hear what you're saying and I am also hearing that they are so much better educated these days and I love and it's just a small thing but I love that idea of referring to them uh, the prisoners by name and the prisoners referring to the prison guards as a, on a first name basis because that's just a little one percenter but they make a big difference don't they it does it makes a huge difference yeah I mean it's like myself that I do a lot of speaking gigs at different units of the prisons and um, 
the minute I, I say I've done time, um, I'm already one of them. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, so just those, those subtle little things, I could say no more and there's a connection. Um, and, and and that's the same with using someone's name, you know. Um, what do they say? There's nothing sweeter than hearing your own name met, spoken of, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so look, Glenn, I, I've kept you long enough. I... I just um, I admire what you do. It would be a bloody tough job at times, but um, thank you for well a lot of things, but for the inspiration and guidance that you give so many who've never had anyone to help them or believe in them uh, in the way that you would make them feel. Um, you, yeah, you will be like a chopper. Uh, or maybe a Kevin, you know, from uh, the parole officer, you will be uh, one of them in uh, uh, somebody else's life. And I can only hope that somehow uh, they trust you and know that you're there for them and as hard as that might be for them to understand and believe that. Uh, You must be a shining light for so many people. Uh, We've proved, haven't we, life isn't perfect, but we need to instill in others that they do have something to offer to the world and violence is not the answer, that you can change. Just look at you. That's right, that's right. I mean, uh, Dr Zeus, he was was one of my favourite authors as a kid and one of the things Oh, yeah, the cat in the hat. Yeah, (laughs) one of the things he said is he said that... um, to, to the world, you are one person, but to one person, you may be the world. And, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, it's so important. We have the opportunity to mentor people when we don't even know it. Um, and that, and it's important that, you you know, your yays are your yays and your nays are your nays. Um, yeah. Yeah. Boundaries in, in, with young people in particular are so important. But uh, as much as they don't, they say they don't like them. They actually like boundaries. So, um, you know, that, that, that's pretty important. But I want to thank you for the opportunity to come on here. It's probably um, one of the longest record of interviews I've ever done. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and it's by a cop. That's it. <laughs> uh, hey, hey, and that, was a no, and that wasn't a no-comment interview. No, that's right. <laughs> the rare ones. You've answered every question. No, look, thanks, Glenn. And is there any business, uh, a course or interest you'd like to plug before we wrap this up? Because I would like to support uh, anything you stand for in any way I can. Yeah, sure. Look, there, there is one thing, and um, it's it's probably in your bottom drawers and the like. And uh, I'll give you my address first. It's Glenn Broom, B-R-O-O-M-E, Post Office Box 80, so that's 80, Melton, M-E-L-T-O-N, Victoria, 3337. And what we've been doing is a campaign on old mobile phones. We have lots of guys getting released that have no form of communication. And um, one of the important things that we've found that in the first six weeks really, you know, uh, is a challenging time for, for people coming out. And these are guys with mental health issues Usually their crimes are related more to do with, um, you know, intervention orders with family, breaches of intervention orders and the like. Um, So they're they're very clear ways of um, avoiding a lot of the stuff they go through. So we're just 
uh, looking for old mobile phones that we could refurbish and um, give them a new home and uh, help these guys remain in contact long enough to get some stability in the community. So if you've got any friends or anyone that have got old phones lying around, with or without charges, it would be fine. Just encourage you to take off any family photos or the like beforehand. Um, and if you could send them to the post office box, that would be awesome. Just go one more time with the uh, with the address, if you could, Glenn. Okay. Sure. It's uh, P.O. Box 80, Melton, M-E-L-T-O-N, Victoria, 3337. Okay. Well, let's hope uh, that you may be inundated. It'd be lovely if you were. But anyway, look, thanks for your time. Enjoy, enjoy the, the, you know, whatever you're going to do today. And, uh, again, thank you for your time and what you do. Thanks, Thanks Glenn. Thanks for Thank you. Bye-bye. In closing, I've got some really, really great news. Glenn's application to have his police record removed was successful yesterday. His conviction for armed robbery is now what's called spent under the recent introduction of the Victorian Spent Sentences Act 2021 with the help of a bill put forward by Fiona Patton that included the opportunity to have major offences go before the courts to be, quote, spent, unquote. Glenn has also praised the work of Ben Watson from Johnson and Rima Lawyers, who, without his help and support, would never, ever have become Glenn's reality. And I wanted to finish with a quote from Glenn's LinkedIn page, which includes the following statement, quote, as a peer worker that holds the hope of hundreds of men who need their hope held until they are ready to hold it themselves. I have had my hope realised. And another part of it says, quote, I don't believe I am deserving of this and I haven't earned it. I am appreciative of the graciousness of the court and the community. From everyone here at NFI, Glenn, congratulations. It's Narelle here again. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy the podcasts as much as we enjoy putting them together. But to make sure you never miss an episode of Narelle Fraser Interviews, hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a rating and even a review. And please share it with all your friends too. And again, thanks for joining us. We have got some amazing stories to tell. So thanks again. See ya. Hello, guess who? Just a quick interruption here to let you know you can now become a Narelle Fraser Interviews Patreon. How exciting! Simply go to www.patreon, that's P for Peter, A-T-R-E-O-N for Narelle.com and search for Narelle Fraser Interviews. And to all of you out there who continue to support me, thank you so much.
hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.